My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. I apologize, brothers and sisters. It has a different reading in your your bulletin. I pulled an audible yet again and changed the readings. The reason being, I, the scriptures that we had selected for service, I sent them about a month ago, and I had not planned on this very short sermon series, and so because we were doing a series, I had to change some of the readings to reflect what we're going to be speaking about this morning, and well, the past three weeks, and this is the third and final sermon in this very short series that I'm hoping will be something, some sort of, of a touchstone that we can look back on at our church to see what, what church is all about, what the Christian life is all about, and what it is we're actually doing here. And I started preaching a series called Continuity, Discipline, and Rhythm. And in Continuity, we looked at the continuity present in the scriptures themselves and in the tradition of the church as exemplified by the apostles, the rule of faith, and how deviation from the rule of faith leads to doctrinal and liturgical um, Diversity, but diversity not in the positive sense, but in the inane sense, I think. Then in discipline, we looked at the discipline of asceticism or, you know, spiritual disciplines, endurance and worship and how they function together for our repentance and for our joy. And today we are going to deal with the final topic of rhythm. And the three of these work together to ground our walk with Christ in living the Christian life as well as our setting our interior lives in order as well. So when we talk about rhythm in music, rhythm is a pattern of sounds. Uh, It could also be moments of silence. Um, It could also be moments of emphasis in a song, right? So some of you are musically minded. I I know Steve's there, and if I get anything wrong about rhythm, I know he's going to talk to me afterwards and say, you were wrong about that, so I hope I did all my (laughs) research right. Right, but rhythm lays the background for everything else that's to come. The melody, all that stuff is built upon the rhythm that is, that is set. And then you can get into really cool things like time changes, which is one of my favorite things to try to pick up when I, when I listen to music. And I was thinking about rhythm and how rhythm functions in music, and I think that it's an, actually an apt description of the Christian life. Right, this idea of rhythm setting the background for everything else. Particularly our liturgical life, our worshiping life together here as a church, but then also our worshiping life uh, as individuals in our own homes. Because, brothers and sisters, what we do here and the spiritual practices that we have here carry over with us into our personal lives, into our private lives. The two are not separate. Our private life is not separate from our church life. There's a Reformed theologian who said there's not one thing in all creation that Christ does not say that is mine. Christ is Lord over your worshiping life here at the church and Christ is Lord over your life at home. The two are together. They are merged. They are, they are the same. And the rhythm of, of, of worship in church informs and helps develop the rhythm of worship and devotion in our own homes. And the two readings today, we heard a, a short 
excerpt from the Psalms, and then we heard a story from the book of Acts about Peter and John going to the temple at the hour of prayer. And this is just after the day of Pentecost has come. The apostles are together in the upper room along with some other people. The Holy Spirit descends, We're gonna, and, and, uh, and they see tongues of flames of fire on each other's heads. They all start speaking in foreign languages, right? And then this kind of breaks out from where they are, and, and uh, people who are making pilgrimage to come worship at the temple, Jews from all over the empire, they come there and they hear them speaking the, the, the gospel in their own languages, right? which is what tongues is. We'll maybe talk about more about that at Pentecost, right? Pre- Peter gets up and then he preaches a sermon, and this happens right, right after that. It says, I think it says 3,000 or 5,000, I can't remember, were added to the church that very day. After this, Peter and John, they go to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, right? So two out of the big three, right? Peter, James, and John, when we read the Gospels, they're the big three. We've got Peter and John, two of the most important apostles here. They're going to the temple for a purpose. They're going to the temple at the ninth hour. Does anybody know what time that is? It's kind of tricky because the way they tell time back then and the way we tell time now is a little bit different. The cycle of prayer was divided up into three times a day. Psalm 55, 17, evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan and he hears my voice. Evening, morning, and noon, the cycle of prayer. So for them, it would be 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. So that would be morning prayer, afternoon, Evening prayer. That was the cycle of prayer that the observant people would follow. So the ninth hour when Peter and John going to the temple is three o'clock in the afternoon. But there's more going on here too. In Exodus 29 verses 38 to 39, Moses writes, Now this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs a year old, day by day regularly. This is God speaking to Moses. This is what I want you to offer up as sacrifices every morning. One lamb in the morning and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Twilight is the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. So sacrifices here being offered twice a day. Peter and John are going up to the temple during this time to pray, during these daily sacrifices being offered up. But here's the thing, as, as, as dutiful and, and faithful readers and, and hearers of Scripture, we know right from just reading the Gospels that take place before the book of Acts that something has happened that has transformed the world and transformed their worship. Is that Christ, like I say whenever we have Holy Communion, Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Christ's sacrifice has done away with the sacrifices offered in the temple. His loving self-giving of himself means that these sacrifices that still continue in the temple day after day no longer have any efficacy, no longer have any effectiveness because the once and final for all sacrifice has been made by Jesus Christ. And even though these sacrifices have no more power, Peter and John are still rooted in the rhythms of their prayer life. 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. We see them continuing these patterns of prayer even after Christ has ascended and the Spirit has been sent. And what results then from this? 
Well, we see the lay man from birth, it says, lay at the temple gates pleading for alms. And Peter and John walk by and the man asks them for some money. And Peter reacts and he says, look at me. He says, look at me. Like when Isaac, when I'm trying to talk to him, he does this all the time. <laughs> and I have to say, look in my eyes. <laughs> look at my face. And then he does this out of the corner of his eye. Peter says, look at me. And the man, it says, fixed his eyes upon them, expecting to receive something, right? So he's expecting some money. He's expecting uh, some charity. And Peter gives him something better than money and better than charity. And Peter even says, I don't have any money for you, right? There was a, a song that we sang echoing the words of this passage. You know, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. And Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he grabs him by the hand and he picks him up. And it says his feet and ankles were made strong. And he jumps and leaps and runs following them in the temple, praising God. Notice after that, they don't leave and go home and say, well, wasn't that amazing? No, they go into the temple because they were there, they were there to pray. But then what happens is, is the healed man follows with them, them into the temple to pray but healed and transformed by the healing power of Christ as exercised through the holy apostles. And it says that everyone has recognized this man who was once lame. Healing is given by God through his disciples, through his apostles. And brothers and sisters, this is, I think, a beautiful pattern for us to teach us about the rhythm of church life, of our worshiping life, right? We are called to follow in the apostles' teaching. We talked about this two weeks ago. We are called to practice spiritual disciplines for our ongoing repentance and joy. We talked about that last week. And we are now called into the rhythm of the Christian liturgical year. The way that they went at, it's, at 9 a.m., at noon, and at 3 p.m., this forms the basis for our ongoing Christian life and Christian worship. And Christians kept this ongoing practice of morning, afternoon, and evening prayer. And we are called to enter in to worship with them. We are called to enter into the rhythm of the Christian life. And, and as we do this, healing comes from the presence of the Lord working in us. St. John Chrysostom says this act made manifest the resurrection for it was an image of the resurrection. I think that's so beautiful, right? And that's what the rhythm of church life is. It calls us into experience the life of the resurrection in the age to come. This act of, of physical healing was something pointing to a greater reality that the promise of life in the age to come, right? Not living on a cloud with little angel wings and playing a little harp. That's not the Christian life. That's not the Christian goal. That's not what we're aiming towards. We're not aiming towards becoming angels. We're not aiming towards anything like that or being taken away into the sweet by and by. Right? We are awaiting the resurrection. That is our goal. That is the fullness of the salvation given to us in Jesus Christ. All of God's working in us is participation by us in what lies ahead for us. And the rhythms of Christian life help us now to begin to enter in.
And when we do that, when we enter into the rhythms of the worshiping life of the church, it dismantles the notion that everything is about me. That everything is about me. And I think our culture is so fascinated by this self. The, one of the most popular apps in the world is called TikTok, and we all know it, right? <laughs> Mothers with teenagers, they all say amen, right? TikTok is all about me. Look at what I'm doing. Look at this dance I'm doing right now when I should actually be at work. It's about me. Pay attention to me. But that disappears when we enter into the rhythms of worship, of devotion. And we lose something when we, when we lose that sense of rhythm because then that sense of rhythm that we are called to participate in in the worshiping life of the church, we have to then replace that with something else, right? And the Christian tradition has, has, has always included commemorations of, of people in the scriptures. Very soon, in a couple of Sundays, we're going to, in our service, be commemorating St. Joseph, the, the, the husband of Mary, we're going to be remembering him. Saints James and, 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 uh, James and John will be commemorating them in services. And, and, our, and, and, the, and, and the Virgin Mary. And we remember them and we commemorate them in our services. And the Christian life has always included those days and those times where we think about what they've done, who they are, and what they've done to demonstrate what faith in Christ looks like. So we can emulate them, we can copy them. Because maybe they knew something that we don't about following God. That their faithfulness becomes a model of our faithfulness. And that's why we have things like that. That's why we do things like that. Not because they are our examples in the faith. And sometimes what happens is, well, what has happened in our culture is, in our church culture anyway, across denominations, is we have replaced those times, those commemorations, those great feasts of the church with something else. With something else. And I'll give you two examples. There was a, a, a very large church um, in middle America. And what they decided to do was we are going, and this is several years removed, right? So there's, and it doesn't matter. They decided to do a, a sermon series that lasted for a couple of months on, um, on marriage and sex and dating, right? So one of the things that they did was, <laughs> was the pastor and his wife, they put a bed on the top of the church and you know, they were clothed and they got in bed and they answered questions from people typing in on the computers and phones uh, about sex and they had songs and shows and all of that stuff. That takes away, <laughs> right, from our worship, right? That takes away, that detracts from the sense of rhythm that we've been given. I'll give you another example. Today in our own denomination is a Sunday called Health and Human Services Sunday. Here's the thing. Health and Human Services can be a good thing. There are people that have been helped by the Health and Human Services things that the church has been a part of. There's no denying that. That can be a very good and helpful thing. But should Health and Human Services be something that we commemorate liturgically? Should that then become part of our service? Where the litanies and the prayers that we pray are focused on Health and Human Services? Well, my answer to that question is no. 
Because here's the thing, and this is something Christian across the entire denominational spectrum, I think we need to come back to. And I think other Christian traditions might do this better than others. We have to remember that Christian worship, it's not meant for us to attach our own political and pet projects to. Worship is not meant to form you to become an activist for whatever side of the political aisle you find yourself on. Worship is meant to form us. Worship is meant to help us be like Christ. If our goal is the resurrection, right, then we are being shaped and formed to one day experience that in full, right? So that's what we're working towards. That's what worship is. That's what worship focuses on. Not goods and services, but Christ. I remember... I used to work for a very large megachurch when I lived overseas. And one thing that they always do it was uh, the, the, one of the, the staff pastors would get up and he would, um, he would sell product, right? Like after the, like you know, right before the offering, they'd get up, they'd do announcements. And then um, they, they'd, uh, somebody would come up and, and do like a small offertory. And then they'd get up and the guy would say, and look at this CD that we have. You know, the, this new album, this new album, this new album. And we have this book by this Christian author, whatever. Go to the bookstore after the service, right? And, and grab that. That, that stuff like that, yeah, I mean, it's, it's helpful, right? This is things that we have, resources that we have available for you. But it, it creates a disjunction in the service. We're coming there to worship Jesus, to, to fall at the feet of Christ, to thank him for what he's done, to, to glory in the salvation that he's given us freely. And we stop everything to say, here's a book by whoever. I'm not going to say a name because whatever name I say, somebody always gets mad, right? Go in the bookstore and buy this after the service. Like that creates a dis... It just throws everything off kilter. Worship exists to turn us towards God. To turn us towards God. And that's what the whole of the Christian life is. Is the turning of our hearts towards God, right? So continuity and discipline and rhythm. All three of these things work together to form us into the image of Jesus Christ. The, con we can, uh, the, the continuity of the scriptures, right? Their authority, their, their inspiration, their, their inerrancy, right? All of this stuff points us to Jesus. It, it helps us. It gives us boundaries, right? And then our personal discipline, our ascetical life that trains us to turn our souls to God. And then entering into the rhythm in the of the liturgical life of the church forms that background on which those other things get grafted, so we can't graft on stuff that don't function to turn us to God. Y'all with me? Okay. Oh, there's an amen. Very good. That amen, it, it gets to my, my former Pentecostal heart. All right. <laughs> then, right, after that, then we can go out and do the good works he's asked us to do, right? After we've received from Christ, after we have fed on Christ at his table and altar, right? After we've heard the word pro proclaimed and preached and fed on his word, right? Then we can go out, transform, and then do the good works he's asked us to do. Care and service and, and love and serving the poor. Those things are what we are transformed to go participate in doing. But we must never make the mistake of making the church, of making worship about those things. Worship forms us so we can then go out and do those things. 
And maybe that means, maybe, what that means liturgically for us is maybe, and I'm just throwing this out there, right? Maybe this means having services during the week. If there's like a special day coming up, uh, commemorating a, a special person, I don't know. These are things to think about and to pray about and to talk about. Because all of this functions ultimately for our repentance. All of this ultimately functions for our joy. Right? I talked about this last week, right? That, that, that our faith is not one of, even our faith is sober, it's one of joy. It's one of absolute and utter joy. And so continuity and discipline and rhythm, all three of these things work together to ground our walk with Christ and to aid us in living the Christian life as well as setting our interior lives in order. We need all three of these things to be well-formed Christians and to be mature Christians. We need all three of these things to turn us, to turn our hearts, to transform us into the image of our Savior Jesus Christ, to whom is due all glory together with his Father, who is from everlasting and is all holy good and life-creating spirit. Amen.